appreciate you coming to church tonight, but your coming to church is not about me. It's not about Doug. It's about we come for the Lord. We come because uh, this is his day. It belongs to him. And of all days that we ought to honor the Lord, we ought to honor the Lord on the resurrection day, Easter Sunday. Every Sunday is Easter Sunday. They began to meet on the Lord's day. That's what they called it. They set aside the first day of the week and they met and they worshiped the Lord. And that's what we're doing here tonight. I have to see the title of the sermon, Behold the Lamb of God. You're familiar with that phrase, but perhaps you don't know where it came from or how it came about even. You look in John chapter 1, verse 29. That's going to be our, really it's our starting point tonight, but it's the, it's, the, it's the message text that we're going to use. John chapter 1, verse 29, where uh, John looked at Jesus and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you know that when John the Baptist made this statement, he said something that had never been said before. In all the Old Testament, this expression, the Lamb of God, is not used. Nor will you find it anywhere else in the New Testament, except in the context of this chapter, here in this verse, and again in verse 36. This was a sermon in a sentence, and no one, no one, had ever heard this sermon before. The Jews knew all about lambs, but they were not familiar with the Lamb of God. This was new. This was surprising. They knew about lambs and sin and sacrifice, but John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What did, what did he mean? Uh, do you think you know? Did they know? What came to their mind when they heard this statement? Well, I, I, I want to give you a, sort of a progression that, that we see, especially in the Old Testament, that leads up to this moment, to John making this statement, and help us understand really why it's important. Uh, the first recorded act of sacrifice by a man is found in the book of Genesis, chapter 4, verse 4. And that's where Abel uh, sacrifices an animal. We assume it was a lamb. And uh, he, and the Lord looked on it with favor. You know the contrast between the sacrifice of Abel and the sacrifice of Cain. Now, there is, of course, an act of sacrifice implied after the sin of Adam and Eve when God, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, that God clothed them with animal skins. The, says, the Bible says the Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. But there's no outright mention of a lamb there. So the first official sacrifice recorded in Genesis was this sacrifice of Abel. And we assume here that, that there's a principle that had been passed down, a principle passed down from father to son, from parents to children, the principle of a lamb for a man. This, this began the, the progression of redemption. Now, I want you to follow closely as I try in my own humble way to put together the pieces of the puzzle because I think this will help us better understand what John was saying when he looked at Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Remember, it appears nowhere else in the Bible 
but here. So the principle that Adam passed down to Abel must have been passed on even further. I suggest that because later on in the Old Testament, we find Abraham and Isaac on their way to a place of worship. And because they were on their way to a place of worship, naturally, there was the assumption that there would be a sacrifice. At least it looked that way. They had fire and wood and the knife for the sacrifice. Isaac became a little concerned as the journey continued in the 22nd chapter of Genesis, as you will remember, he looked at his father and he asked a significant question. He said, where is the lamb for the sacrifice? Apparently, they were moving to worship on this principle, a lamb for a man. And so what did Abraham say to, to Isaac? It's a well-known story. We know that Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb for a sacrifice. And you know the story of how God did that. And just about the time that Abraham was in obedience to God, was about to take the knife and slay his son, the, the angel of the Lord spoke to him and said, Don't do this. Now I know that you fear God since you've not withheld your only son from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and saw a ram catching himself in a thicket. And so he named that place Jehovah Jireh, or the Lord will provide. Uh, but Abraham said that by faith. He, uh, he said that, told Isaac by faith that God would provide a lamb, and God did. But when John looked at Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, the Lamb in the Old Testament, here in this chapter in Genesis, was the the, the, the God-provided substitute in the place of Isaac. This was God's miracle. This was God's provision. So is that in John's thinking as he pointed to Jesus? I just raised that question. There goes the Lamb of Jehovah Jireh. There goes the Lamb who will voluntarily submit himself to the hands of men. There goes the Lamb who will offer his life as your substitute. Is that what John meant? Well, not completely. For Abraham and Isaac were still operating by this earlier principle, a lamb for a man. But as the Old Testament continues, it gets a little more advanced. We come to the time of Passover. This, of course, occurs after the children of Israel had come out of Egypt. Passover was a Jewish worship celebration commemorating their deliverance from Egypt. And the night before their deliverance, as you know, every Israelite household was to sacrifice a lamb. And that brings us to our second principle in the progression of re redemption. Not only was there be, to be a lamb for a man, but there was number two, to be a lamb for a family. A lamb for a family. So that's in Exodus chapter 12. That's the story. The Lord tells them every household Take a lamb, and if the household is too poor, get your neighbor, and together you get a lamb. But let's sacrifice a lamb for every family. And there in Exodus chapter 12, they were told to take the blood of that lamb and put it over the doorpost of their house. And when the, the destroying angel came by, the Lord said, When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And that is what happened. So every year... 
they sacrificed the Passover lamb. And so they established this further principle. Not only would there be a lamb for a man, but there would be times that there would be a lamb for a family, commemorating the fact that God spared them from his wrath that he poured out on Egypt. Now John's one sentence sermon was made just days before the nation would observe this tremendous service of worship when every family would slaughter a lamb in the observance of Passover. It was against that context that John said, Behold, the Lamb of God, the Lamb that's going to spare them from the judgment of God. He is the Lamb for every family. He was the Lamb for every man. Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, I don't know how much you know about the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, but lambs were not sacrificed just once in a while. A lamb was sacrificed in the Jewish faith every day. And not just every day, but every morning and every evening. In Exodus chapter 29, we come to this other principle. That is, that the lamb in the Old Testament opened the door uh, to have fellowship with God. There was no other way to have fellowship with God than through the sacrifice of a lamb. So first, a lamb for a man. It basically provided that opportunity for man to have fellowship. And then a lamb for a family. And then this continual sacrifice of a lamb that there might be fellowship with God. This is in Exodus 29, verse 38. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Uh, two one-year-old lambs each day continuously. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Verse 42, it shall be a continual bird offering throughout your generations at the doorway of the tent of meeting before the Lord where I will meet with you to speak with you there. I will meet there with the sons of Israel and it shall be consecrated by my glory. And so here is that wonderful passage of Scripture, that wonderful opportunity to have fellowship with God, to meet with God at the tent of meeting, but not without the continual sacrifice of a lamb. It was so important. There were many lambs in the Old Testament. But John looked at Jesus and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And Jesus did say, No man cometh to the Father but by me, only through the blood of that Lamb. And no other way can a man have fellowship with God. There is no other offering, no other act, no other sacrifice. John pointed his finger and said, Behold the Lamb of God. But as you know, John also associated the Lamb with sin. He said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And we know the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The writer of Hebrews said that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So this picture of a lamb associated with sin was familiar to those who were listening to John, even though they had never, ever heard the expression the Lamb of God. If an individual sinned, by the way, that person was to bring a sin offering 
And that offering was often a lamb. Let me read you from Leviticus chapter 4, verses 32 and 33. If he brings a lamb as his sin off, as his offering for a sin offering, he shall bring it a female without defect. He shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and slay it for a sin offering in the place where they slay the burnt offering. This was the practice of a man or a woman or anyone when they sinned. When you sinned, there was a sacrifice that had to be made. A lamb had to be sacrificed. This was the worshiper's way of maintaining fellowship with God. And so we see lambs had to be sacrificed every day at morning and evening to open the door to fellowship with God. But no one came to God without the sacrifice of a lamb. And, and if any man sinned, he was to confess his sins over that lamb. He was to slay it in the presence of the priest. It was a bloody mess. It was a continual reminder that the wages of sin is dead. And there was no forgiveness without the blood of your lamb. Every sinner had to sacrifice a lamb for his sin. And John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the sacrifice for sin which God provided. And so you never need to think that something you have done or will ever do will take away sin. The only way your sins will ever be removed is through the blood of a lamb. But this is still not what John said. This is following the, following the principle of a lamb for a man or the principle of a lamb for a family. But you'll see how the progression of redemption continued until in the Old Testament it became a lamb for the nation. There was yet another lamb that was prominent in the minds of those who heard that one sentence sermon. You might know that on the Day of Atonement there was a sacrifice and they would take two goats involved for a sin offering. One was slaughtered, it was taken into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God, the blood was. And it was sprinkled on the mercy seat. And when it was sprinkled on the mercy seat, it covered the sin. God was pictured as looking down above the mercy seat. He was looking down on the Ark of the Covenant. The lid, it wasn't a chair, by the way. The mercy seat, I, I don't like that song that says that Jesus sits on the mercy seat. It's wrong. The county seat Nobody sits over there. It's not something that people sit on. What is it? It's the source. It's the fountain. It's the headquarters of government. And so the mercy seat is the source. It's the fountain of mercy. And so they would take the blood and they would sprinkle it on the, on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. And that was called the propitiation. It satisfied the wrath of God. The question comes to me as I think on Calvary, is Jesus satisfied with me? Not without blood that covers your sin. He is not satisfied. The wrath of God is not satisfied by anything that you do or I do, but only through the blood of a lamb. And so on the day of atonement, one animal was sacrificed. The blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat became the propitiation for sin. The other animal was called the scapegoat. And they confessed the sins on that animal and it was led away. It was led out into the wilderness and carried their sins 
away. So on the day of atonement, it was for the whole nation that the whole nation might be forgiven. Not just an, an individual, not just a family, not, not just for sin, but for the nation. Now, they did that over and over, over and over, over and over. Can you imagine two lambs being sacrificed at the door of the church, one in the morning, one in the evening, and people saying, well, you can't come in to meet with the Lord until we have the sacrifice of a lamb. It would be awful, would it not? But apparently it was very effective. No, it wasn't. The writer of Hebrews said in chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, For the law, since it only has a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same, can never, can never, by the same sacrifices which they continually, which they offer continually, year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats, and we might add lambs, to take away sins. To take away sins. But John looked at Jesus. And he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, this is more than a lamb for a man or a lamb for a family or a lamb for a nation. John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, I'll remind you that Abraham went to a faraway mountain. And when Abraham went to that faraway mountain, what did he do? Well, the Bible says he built an altar. He took a stack of stones, stacked them, and then what did he do? He had the wood that, that he cut, and he put it on that stack of stones, and then he had the fire, and he was ready to make a sacrifice. But now we come to another mountain and another stack of stones. But this stack of stones, like the stack of stones that Abraham arranged, was also stacked by a father, and that stack of stones was stacked in the shape of a skull. And the wood was the cross. And now we talk about the lamb on the cross. And God refusing to stop to take the life of his only son. Even when the son cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Behold the lamb of God. The lamb of God on the cross. There's no other way to heaven. There's not one way for this religion and that way for the other. There's one God who provided himself a lamb that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Behold the Lamb of God whose blood alone opens the door for fellowship with God. Whose blood alone over the doorpost of our heart spares us from the wrath of God. The Lamb of God, whose blood alone offers us forgiveness of sin. It takes away sin. The Lamb of God who went to the cross like a lamb to the slaughter, the Bible says. Who in Isaiah said he bore our sins there. He was pierced for us. The Lamb of God who, like the ram in the thicket, 
died in our place. But not only so. One last verse. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. You remember the story on the, on the Day of Atonement when they took the blood and they sprinkled it on the mercy seat so that, so that sin would be covered, so that sin would be atoned. And that was called the propitiation. And look at this verse. John said, not the same John, by the way. This is John the Baptist who said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But John the Apostle said, And he, the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but also for those of the whole world. John said something significant that had never, ever been said, used a phrase that had never, ever been used, only found here in our, in our whole Bible. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We come to worship Him on this Easter Sunday. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, for how You've arranged it, how the pictures that You've shown us you have to show us pictures, Lord, because we are like children. That's all we can understand. But the pictures make it so clear so that the, when we turn that last page and see what you've said, we understand. You get the message across. And so, Lord, whether a person is 8 or 80, they can understand your love reflected through the cross. And we thank you, Lord, for this Easter season and the, the opportunity that you've given us to celebrate it one more time. Lord, we look forward to that day when we have an opportunity to see the hands and the feet and the face from which sorrow and love flow mingled down. Lord, please help us to be more committed to you in the days ahead than we have in days past. We pray, Lord, for your activity to be displayed in and through the ministry of your church so that you might receive glory and honor.